Hey everyone, Matt Frazier here. Doug and I had conflicting schedules this week, so rather than leave you with nothing, we decided to take the week off from recording a new episode, but we did just recently record this Instagram Live with Dr. Will Bolshewitz, author of the brand new Fiber-Fueled Cookbook, and of course Fiber-Fueled, uh, which was a smash hit, just like the new one, also on the New York Times bestseller list. Uh, hope you enjoy the interview, and we'll talk to you next week. Hi, this is Hope. This is Kareem. Hi, this is Katie from Washington, D.C., and you're listening to No Meat Athlete Radio. As I was just sharing, one of my colleagues asked, are we going to talk about poo? And he's got some little kids. I think it, it's natural for him to go there. So I don't know if we're going to talk about you, but we're going to talk about all things gut health to have you on uh, we'll just give uh, a couple more minutes because it looks like we got a lot of people joining us right now but um dr b where do we find you today before we get into the to the poo and other microbiota and well <laughs> someone asked if we're related i can see the resemblance it's kind of there it's cool uh I'll, i'm gonna take i mean it me too i'll man. take that so, as a compliment uh, uh i'm in charleston south carolina and uh, you look like, are you out in California right now? It's beautiful out there. Where are you? No, oh, we're man. in uh, Colorado. So these are beautiful. Colorado mountains. Yeah. I'd take either. Yeah. So is, so is South Carolina. Well, thanks so much for, for making time. I know we've got a stream of folks coming in and uh, we'll definitely try to take some, some community questions as well. Um, Dr. B, can you hear me all right? I got a little spin I'm back. circle. I'm back. I'm good. We good? Okay. We're back. Got it. Um, so for all those watching, uh, yeah, twinning. Um, so for all those watching, uh, Dr. B, Dr. Will Bulsowitz, um, is the gut health MD and also a, a New York Times bestselling author of Fiber Fuel. We're going to get into all things gut health you're the gut health md unsurprising um maybe we should we should uh challenge you get into some cardiovascular questions <laughs> cerebro maybe some mental health no we'll, we'll keep it to the gut we want to really dig into your expertise because it's such an important part of lifestyle medicine which i know our community is all about so uh, a really quick introduction you obviously went to Med school at Georgetown, you're board certified in internal medicine and gastroenterology and an expert in these digestive diseases that we are finding out are not just digestive diseases. We're finding out that your digestion and more, more broadly, your microbiome is really so important to your overall health. So I want to just start by getting to know you. And first of all, congratulations on a number two best-selling cookbook. Um, but how did you get into gastroenterology? Where did this interest start for you? And then we'll get into the practical tips of how people can improve their lives with all these insights that you're going to bring to us. But but let's just learn a little bit about you and, and how you came to be. I mean, honestly, I today. didn't, I, this was not the game plan. I, I didn't have any plan to be an author or on Instagram or anything of this variety. Um, if you went all the way back to like 2004, I was in my third year of medical school. And basically what happens is you start rotating into the hospital and trying out new things. And I discovered that I, I loved 
gastroenterology. I loved the different organ systems. You know, basically I get to be the expert on the esophagus, stomach, the pancreas, the gallbladder, the liver, you know, the small intestine, the colon, even the hemorrhoids. I'm the expert. And, you know, if, if I was a cardiologist, it would just be squeeze, relax, squeeze, relax. Like that's all the heart does. Whereas I feel like in my field, there's a lot of personality. And it's also ripe for like poop jokes and talking about farting and things like that. So it was a great fit for me. Um, there really was no such thing as gut health in 2004. And I spent the next 10 years of my life pursuing my goal to become a gastroenterologist. And during that, during that time, that pursuit, I was so goal oriented that I, I worked myself to the point of destroying my own health. And I forced myself to make compromises in terms of my nutrition. So I would, you know, basically say, look, I'm tired, so I'm not going to cook. I want food that tastes good. It has to be quick and easy. And honestly, I didn't have any money, so I needed it to be inexpensive. So I was eating fast food, like two meals a day. And my body was decaying. And it kind of came to a head when I was in my early 30s. And I was... I mean, honestly, 50 pounds overweight, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, high anxiety, super low self-esteem, even though my career was going incredibly well. And there were periods of time where I was like, basically curled up under a blanket in a dark room. And I just wanted people to leave me alone. Just leave me alone. And I knew that I was not in a good place. I knew it needed to be fixed, but I didn't really know how to do it. Like my education had not taught me this, even though I went to Georgetown Northwestern, the University of North Carolina, these great places, I still didn't know what to do. So uh, I ended up discovering nutrition. And I stumbled into it. I actually stumbled into it through my dating life. So I met a person who was eating plant based. And uh, she inspired me to try changing my diet. And she now is my wife and we have three kids together. <laughs> so but so I, I'm allowed to speak very highly of her because this is the person who I married. So anyway, um, you know, once Matt, you make this discovery as a medical doctor, there's no turning back. You know, you now realize the power that exists in food and you can't, how can you look a patient in the eye and then just write a like prescription and walk out the door when you know, when you know that the food could make such a difference in their life. And so that's, that's what ultimately led me to where I am today is just I became uh, fired up about trying to incorporate nutrition in healing processes. And it started in a clinic, but then what was happening in my clinic was so profound that I felt like people needed to hear the story. And now, you know, I'm two books in and, and a New York Times bestseller twice, and I still don't feel like I'm an author. I, I'm, I'm a doctor who writes books. And here we are. Yeah, that's awesome. And uh, for all those listening, you should definitely go check out Fiber Fueled, both books, but this most recently has 125 gut supporting. Nice. Uh, it's a beautiful book, and I'm super excited. I have to admit, I haven't tried all 125 recipes. You got work to do. But um, <laughs> it's an amazing journey. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I got three kids. So let me tell you about the work of uh, feeding the family. We got six in our yeah. household at this point. So 
seven now, seven. The newborn's not eating solid food, so he's not part of meal prep yet, but uh, we're, we're making our way. And um, anyway, everyone should go check that out. Let's get into some of the um, tips and tricks because ultimately, you know, we've got some hundreds of folks watching this video and a lot of people are starting to recognize, like you just said, that so much of health starts on your plate and in your gut. Obviously, those are correlated. So right off the bat, what is the one solution? Because we all know it's simple. It's easy. There's always one thing that's going to change your life. Um, no, I'm kidding. There's never. But if you had to pick one thing, just one rule, right, that people walk away with from this video, they're not going to remember the entire half an hour, 45 minutes that we chat. One thing that it's they so easy. What, what would that be? Uh, in the American Gut Project, which was the largest study to date, allowing us to make connections between diet and lifestyle choices and the health of our gut microbiome, they actually found that there was a clear cut number one factor that predicted who had the healthiest guts. And that was the diversity of plants in your diet. So no matter who you are, whether you eat plant-based or you don't eat plant-based, I mean, honestly, I don't really, like, uh, I, this, this message is for everyone, which is that variety in your diet translates into supporting and nurturing a varied, uh, resilient, diverse gut microbiome. And so no matter how you eat, you should try to do this because the problem, Matt, is that in 2022, our food system is not going to do this for us. They want our diet to be wheat, corn, soy, and that's pretty much it. And so if we're going to do this, it has to start within ourselves. And the place that it starts is first hearing it and then accepting it and then putting it into practice when you go to the when you go to the supermarket, when you're in the kitchen, when you're sitting down to dinner, diversity of plants, this becomes the key to gut health. It's the one thing. It's the one thing. That's awesome. Okay, got it. And, and what's the metric? Because I've heard a number of numbers. Uh, but what's the metric that you think about? Is that uh, 10 a day, 30 a week? I've heard different things. What, what is diversity? What is Well, if we, go, if we go to the American Gut Project that I just referenced, in that study, they found the people that were eating at least 30 different varieties of plants per week had the healthiest gut microbiomes. Now, like, I, I, I just want to exercise some caution here, which is to say this. First of all, to people who are not eating plant-based, this sounds very overwhelming. Don't be overwhelmed. Just add more plants and you will make progress. And that's a great thing. And the second thing is that right. some people say, oh, well, once I hit 30, I'll stop. No, no, no. Don't take your foot off the gas. 40 is better than 30. 50 is better than 40. Keep seeing, like, see how hard you can push yourself. All right. Um, so I'm going to challenge you for a second because I focus on optimization in all areas. And um, yeah, I mentioned I got three kids, business to run. I like to exercise like saunas and cold plunges and there are never enough hours in the day. And one of the ways that I really optimize my schedule is through patterns, it's through habits, right? Taking it out of my brain and just going through the routines. And as a result, my smoothies can often look exactly the same. Our, our dinners often look exactly the same because 
there are these go-to staples that are easy and there are routines and yet diversity is really important. So I want to ask you, I mean, if we think about what, what is the solution? How do you make it easy to create kind of pattern interrupts, right? Or, or to reintroduce that diversity when at the same time, we're also encouraging people to, to, to make eating a plant-based diet easier. And one of those ways is, is through repetition of some core staple meals. So how do you balance those two things for, for you and your diet? How do you, how do you keep introducing diversity? How do you keep the plate changing and things lively in that regard while at the same time not driving yourself crazy and making meal so um, the way that food appears in the bolswitz household is not the way that food appears in the fiber fields cookbook <laughs> all right so we're a real family we have three kids too and you know we we i mean we have a busy life too and, and we're trying to figure out ways to make this possible so what what are the ways that we do it um first of all when we say plant diversity this doesn't have to mean exotic. It could, right? I mean, you can go to the store and grab something exotic that you've never purchased before and then just bring it home and figure it out. And I love that. I think it's really cool. But it could be also very simple. If you're making a smoothie in the morning, Matt, how many plants? Give us an idea of what you put into your smoothie. Give me some feedback here. Well, I'm, I'm also not your, your typical consumer. So I will admit my smoothies do have some diversity, but I'm, but, but so we fall into patterns and you can ask some of the folks on my team. I drink a 64 ounce smoothie every day that has, I mean, usually turns out to be somewhere in between green and brown because I load it with just about right. anything I can find in the fridge, um, including some stuff that I really regret later because I just ruined my 30, you know, my 36 or 64 ounce smoothie with a taste that I can't get back. Right. <laughs> um, and so it'll be cauliflower, um, always the staples. I'll give you the staples, um, blueberries, some sort of green that could be anywhere from arugula to collard greens, which is really a pungent taste. And I do not recommend to add to smoothies, spinach, obviously really easy. Um, Swiss chard, love those colors. Um, always uh, chia, flax, sometimes hemp. Uh, and then if we've got some stuff lying around, I'll throw in beets, I'll throw in cauliflower, I'll throw in everything. But like I said, when I default, when I have no time and I'm running out the door, a lot of times it is uh, banana, blueberries, you know, some sunflower, butter, greens, you know, and my flax chia combination. I'm not, and, and so again, I think that's, realistic for a lot of people, this is how they make their smoothie, right? Um, most people are not throwing beets and collard greens. Again, I don't, I, I agree with Kiwi Daily Journal, arugula and collard greens, two great ways to ruin a smoothie. Very um, So, you know, even with the super quick smoothie that you're talking about here, see the beautiful thing about a blender is I love a blender because like, you don't have to be a French trained chef to use a blender. You just need to throw stuff in there and press a button. And so even with your super quick smoothie that you described, I counted six plants. So you on Monday morning, you are rushing out the door and you are already 20% of your way there. And you still have 20 meals left to make up, you know, the, the other uh, 24 plants that get yourself to 30. 
So I, I, I'm amazed by how many people think we're, we're brothers. It's kind of cool. We're gonna have to meet at some point, Matt, so that we yeah. can take a picture together. Um, our next, our, our next live. I'm oh, I'll take mine off. Glasses I'll take mine off. I just didn't wear a button up. No, don't don't do that. I want you to be. I want you to be able to read the. Uh, so the comments, well, okay. So, so. anyway, <laughs> um, but you know, the, the key here is that smoothies, salads, soups, stews, chili. I had to get something that wasn't an S in there. Uh, these are sauces. These are ripe opportunities to add more plants. Quick example. The other night, it was a, this was a completely impromptu thing. It's five o'clock. I asked my wife, hey, babe, what's for dinner? She says, I don't know. The baby's been fussy. I don't have time. Okay, cool. Do we have pasta sauce? Yes. Literally dump the pasta sauce jar into a pot. Open up the fridge. What can I put in pasta sauce? That is the question. And if the answer is yes to anything that's in the fridge, it goes into the pasta sauce. So yeah. I found spinach, I found asparagus, red bell peppers, red onions, garlic, um, some mushrooms. And then I went out, we have a lettuce grow in the backyard and uh, I grabbed a zucchini and some fresh basil and some cherry tomatoes. And so this pasta sauce, right, it would have been, like organic whole wheat pasta and tomato sauce. That would have been two. But I took this pasta sauce and I literally added like nine things to it. And now this one meal that was literally just me chopping veggies and throwing them in tomato sauce and letting them simmer for a half hour, it's 11 plants. And the kids love it. Smells amazing. Tastes great. I mean, it's like, this is this is what I'm talking about is if you just simply think about where is there an opportunity to throw some more stuff in there, just do it. Just throw more stuff in there. Yeah. Uh, your house will operate a lot like mine. Um, but uh, let me ask you a couple more practical questions on that note. Diversity is the key. We're going for 30. And I do appreciate because I feel better about myself knowing that those six uh, fruits and vegetables and seeds that are in my uh, smoothie got me 20% uh, of the way there. Now, what happens if I repeat that every day or every week, say? So we're getting 30 plants every week, but they're the same 30 plants. Because I bet you anything, because of the way our households work and many others, you know, you, you know how to make that beautiful vegan lasagna, and you know how to make that... Um, whatever it might be. Uh, uh, we do a lot of curries. We also do soups, bowls, whatever. But, but then we kind of repeat them week after week. Does that count? If you're hitting 30 or 40 or 50 even every single week, but you're kind of falling into those same patterns week after week, or, or do you have to find 30 new vegetables? Oh, you definitely don't every need week to do that. To, That's to way to really too stressful, maximize. You're stressing me out here even thinking okay. about that. So. Um, no, 30, 30 plants per week is 30 plants per week. And it could be the same plants every week. Got and bear it. in mind, right. like legumes are a ripe opportunity because like you can get one can of beans that's got five different types of beans in there. That's boom. Like that's five points right there. So, um, so the key to, from my yeah. perspective is, you know, do you have to like intentionally adapt your diet on a weekly basis? No. You just want variety, but there is no point at which you take your foot off the gas. The answer is always more variety. So when you see these opportunities for more variety, you take them. So you're in the supermarket 
and you're walking around and you hear my voice. Dr. B says diversity of plants. You hear it in your ear. You're like, oh my gosh, is this the field of dreams? And so, and you're by like the exotic fruit section and you don't know what that fruit is. Just grab it. Just grab it. Just grab it and take it home. And then we'll figure it out yeah. later. The kiwis, like you haven't had kiwis in yeah. forever and you see some kiwis, grab the kiwis and we'll figure it out, right? That's, that's what I'm talking about is just kind of being yep. open to the possibility of trying new things, but also uh, being real, being real, being practical. We are creatures of habit. We have our foundation. I'm just arguing that take your foundation and look for expansion. Awesome. Um, I do want to get to all these questions that are streaming through. I've been trying to take some notes, so I promise the audience we, we will get to them. Um, one of them that I, I'm curious about in particular, and my wife has a gluten allergy. And whenever you bring up gluten, it's kind of like, um, I don't know, one of those topics that everyone has an opinion on. And you mentioned whole wheat, pasta, of course, um, minimally processed whole grain, you know, uh, whole grains are a health food in many circles. Others, they point to gluten as, you know, the, the reason why we're all suffering from this or that. So what, what is your take on gluten and its role in the, the greater All right. Microbiota? So first of all, um, if you have celiac disease, because there's always, I mean, there are, there, we have 158 people here. So there's at least one person who has celiac disease, if not more. If you have celiac disease, then you need to be gluten-free, period, end of story. There's no question about that. All right. There are people on the internet who make it sound like gluten is destroying our gut microbiome and is the like most toxic thing that exists in the American diet. Yet, like gluten could come from uh, cookies and cupcakes, or you could be eating a organic, uh, organically sourced sourdough bread that you make in your own home with high quality flour, right? Like, or rye bread, right? Are you telling me that the sourdough bread is unhealthy when it's made with organic whole wheat bread? This is completely insane. We have lost our minds with the gluten and it's fear mongering because if you actually look at the data, if you actually look at the data, they don't have human data to say that people who consume more wheat-based products are uh, have less healthy gut microbiomes. They don't have that. But what they have are like test tube studies. Test tube studies should always, always, always be verified in adult humans eating real food. Like not, hey, what happens when I concentrate gluten and inject it into a rat? That is not the same as me eating a piece of sourdough. So we have to we have to be very careful because I feel okay. like they're I, you know I I can't speak for these people who I think have a bad take. I don't know if they're looking at the whole data. I don't know if they even really understand how to fully interpret the whole data, right? I just know what they're saying and I don't agree because I think that including some wheat-based products that come from high-quality sources when you do not have celiac disease is completely within reason and. Matt, I could go for another 10 minutes on this topic. I talked about it in my first book. Okay, okay. All right, We're fine. going we to. So, 
No, no, no. I, I was actually going to say we're going to on a podcast that I'm going to invite you to by the end of this because I'm fascinated. We've got to go really deep on a lot of these topics. But no, please, please continue because I, I, I saw at least three people mention that they are celiac on here. But for everybody else, they need this. Okay, uh, so two, two studies that I want to talk about. People need to hear this. And I think people actually find it very interesting. So two studies that I want to talk about. Here's the first one. They looked at dietary patterns of whether you are gluten-free or you are including gluten in your risk of having heart disease, okay? So heart disease is our number one killer. Um, talking about like people having heart attacks, all right? Well, gluten is not the only thing in wheat. Wheat actually contains other things beyond just gluten. It includes fiber, all right? Fiber actually is really good for your gut microbiome and helps to protect against coronary artery disease. We have studies that say this. So the first study that I wanted to bring forward out of the two that I'm, I'm gonna talk about is they took a group of people, they say, what happens to your risk of heart disease based on whether you are gluten-free or you are including gluten? And first they looked at people who have celiac disease. I saw a couple people mention that they have celiac disease here. All right, in people who have celiac disease, if they consume gluten, they increase their risk of having a heart attack. It's not a surprise because when they consume gluten, it activates their immune system, which creates inflammation and heart disease is a byproduct of inflammation in the body. So people who are celiac, they need to reduce their, they need to eliminate gluten from their diet to protect themselves in part from this risk. It's not the only thing, but this is one of the things. But what about people who do not have celiac disease? They found that in people that do not have celiac disease, when they went gluten-free, which is what some of these health and wellness experts recommend categorically for everyone, when they go gluten-free, they actually increase their risk of having a heart attack. This is the number one cause of death in the United States. We should never be making dietary choices that actually increase our risk of the number one cause of death in the United States. Now, the issue is this, Matt. And um, I could get into more data on how this works, but the bottom line is that whole grains are highly protective against coronary artery disease. Whole grains are highly protective. And the number one source of whole grains in the American diet is wheat. Now, I am not saying that wheat is required for health. There's someone who says gluten is just never necessary. Well, I, I just shared a study that said that people who go gluten-free increase their risk of having a heart attack. But there is, the, there is the possibility of going gluten-free for this person who's anti-gluten. That's okay. You can go gluten-free and be completely healthy. But the key is that you need to increase the gluten-free whole grains in your diet. So that means quinoa, sorghum, teff, amaranth. And you go down the line, there are multiple other whole grains that you can consume. So I am not telling you that you are required to consume wheat. I am telling you that you are required to consume whole grains. 98% of America don't do that. The other thing real quick, Matt, I hope you don't mind. One other study, they took a group of- No, please. Okay, they took a group of people that they proved that they don't have celiac disease. And they, um, they, 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 they proved that they don't have celiac disease. And these were people who thought that they were gluten sensitive. And they gave them three weeks worth of breakfast bars. One week was a placebo, one week was gluten, and one week was FODMAPs. Okay, so FOD, fructans, fructans are a FODMAP that you will find in wheat products. All right, in this study, what they did 
is they, they were comparing it to the placebo and they asked how many digestive symptoms are you having while you eat these breakfast bars compared to the placebo when they were eating the gluten bar, they had less symptoms than the placebo. In other words, they're eating a gluten-based bar and they have less symptoms than the placebo. The placebo is triggering them more than the gluten. Okay. It's not the gluten. Wheat is not just gluten. Wheat contains other things like fructans. Fructans are FODMAPs and they're actually prebiotic. They're actually incredibly healthy for us. We want them. We don't want to discard them. But in people that have a damaged gut, which this is who we're talking about, in people that have a damaged gut, they can take these fructans and actually they get gas bloating and discomfort. And so in this setting, when they consumed the fructan-based bar, they were triggered. The fructan was the issue. So the point is that um, there are many misconceptions when it comes to gluten. Gluten is not causing your digestive symptoms. It's the fructans. And the second thing is that people can be very healthy consuming organic whole wheat products from high quality sources. I'll leave it at that. Yeah, so again, for those who are watching, we have a New York Times best-selling, two-time best-selling author and an expert in gut health. I, of course, am the CEO of Complement, where you can get all of your plant-based nutrient needs, except for the whole foods and water. Um, and we're going to do a deep dive into gluten because um, I am fascinated about this. You know, uh, Again, we've been gluten-free for more than five years, um, and we've heard everything running the gamut. Again, my wife has a, an allergy. Which is an appropriate she reason to not into that category. Gluten. Yeah. Right. And, 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 uh, but we eat a tremendous amount of grains, like you say, um, amaranth, she's, she's from Mexico. So amaranth is actually really big there. Um, and, uh, and, and quinoa is like the go-to, right? If you don't have time, we always have a giant, uh, a, a giant, um, uh, bowl or a, a pot of quinoa, you know, unseasoned, ready to go. Sometimes by the way, uh, you can put some pea, protein milk or some coconut milk, a little cinnamon, whatever Yo. else you want to top it. it it's, it's like, you know, your, your go-to overnight oats or throw some pasta sauce on there. So that, that is our go-to. And again, totally agree, you know, whole grains get demonized, but, but I do think it's worth mentioning that um, kind of like deciding to eat a plant-based diet Sometimes it's the um, stricture, it's the rules, it's, it's the confines with, in which you operate that can lead to unhealthy decisions just as much right. as it can lead to healthy decisions, right? You go vegan and start eating Oreos and Doritos because they don't have animal products, like you're not going to be vegan. I'll be the first, right. oh, sorry, you're not right. going to be healthy. You might be right. vegan, you won't be healthy, right? And likewise, for us, it's actually been a really, it's been a positive thing. I think a lot of times you can you can fall into this um, uh, habit. We did, when, and that's how we discovered uh, that she needed to go gluten free. Is that when we first went vegan, we defaulted to a lot of pastas and pizzas and sandwiches because we had no idea how to how right. to make whole plants. We had we had missed we had missed the memo that yeah. you just in fact eat whole plants. You put them right. into a bowl and you eat them, maybe with some hot sauce or you know right. Um, so we defaulted to lots of pastas, pizzas, and 
And I think, that, again, that's why with every conversation, you yes. got to embrace the nuance, you know, because as you just showed us, it's not about gluten or not gluten. It's not about whole grains or no grains, right? It's about kind of leaning into this complexity. So anyway, enough of, of the gluten, because I do want to be respectful of your time. Are you good yeah. going for a little Let's go another 10 minutes. So yeah. a couple hundred people here. Awesome. That's perfect. Um, so let's talk oh. fermented food. Um, cause anything with, you know, with, with gut health, you, you start hearing about how kimchi and sauerkraut, right. There are actually shrines set up that people worship these fermented foods. Just kidding. Um, but it seems that way, right. There's a lot of excitement. Why should we be excited? About I mean, I was starting to say, I want to take a, you know, a trip to that shrine and <laughs> that's my kind of place. Um, <laughs> If you come visit me, I promise I'll find you a shrine to fermented. I might have to set it up myself, but we will go visit. Love it. Uh, so, all right. The by the way, one quick comment on whole wheat. I just want to. I, I do feel compelled to say this. Someone mentioned whole wheat causes inflammation. Whole wheat by itself does not inherently cause inflammation. In fact, it reduces inflammation. And I actually shared a study to my feed yesterday, so you can uh, actually read that uh, for yourself. But I do think that wheat being sprayed with glyphosate is problematic. I do think that's problematic. And it's being sprayed to help it to dry faster. Um, and then that's a part of the food, but it doesn't show up on the ingredient list. So the only way that you can really fully protect yourself from that is to buy organic, which is why you've noticed me saying organic when I talk about wheat. So, all right, fermented food. When I wrote Fiber Fueled, so I was writing Fiber Fueled in 2019 and it came out in 2020. I wrote an entire chapter about fermented food because it was far too intuitive where you have these foods that they have, they have fiber, they have the polyphenols, but they also have living microbes. And like, to me, it was like, this has to be perfect. This has to be great for our gut health. But the, but the issue is that a lot of that was based upon um, presumption that this would be healthy for our gut based upon those components. Well, less than a year ago, Matt, Stanford University, actually a couple of guys that I'm friends with, uh, professors Christopher Gardner and Justin Sonnenberg published a paper to the journal Cell where they basically, it was an interventional trial. They took a, a group of people that were not consuming fermented food, by the way, that's the average American. The average American is not consuming fermented food or they're consuming like a little bit of junky yogurt. And so they took this group and they basically cranked up their fermented food so that they were consuming several servings of fermented food per day. But there was a massive payoff. After 10 weeks on this high fermented food diet, people had increased diversity within their gut microbiome and decreased measures of inflammation. So the point is, you asked me earlier, and for those who are new and didn't hear this, you asked me earlier, if there's one takeaway, what is it? And that one takeaway was eat a wide variety of plants. But if there's a second takeaway, my number two is this, add fermented food to your diet. Because most of us are not doing it and it is a ripe opportunity. And that's part of what I'm trying to uh, accomplish with my new book, The Fiber Fields Cookbook, is that we have like close to 20 different fermented recipes, including multiple different sourdough recipes to actually help people to accomplish these things in their own life, in their own way with delicious food. Awesome. Um, 
I want to go back to okay. uh, glyphosate and broaden it a little bit. Um, and again, for, for all the new folks who've joined, I, I do hope you'll check out the Gut Health MD and his new book, Fiber Fueled, a New York Times bestseller with 125 delicious uh, supplements. Of course, supplements, you, you can tell I talk too much about uh, supplemental forms of nutrients. This is the real stuff, the good food that you need 125 recipes in that book. So go check it out. But um, glyphosate you brought up, talk, talk to us about everything aside from food, uh, sorry, whole foods, water, and what we call, uh, well, I guess, so I'm thinking about non-food ingredients, the things that you and I look at kind of cross-eyed when we see it on an ingredient label. Obviously, glyphosate, unfortunately, is not on the label. But when you think about, um, oh, I don't know, uh, uh, additives, preservatives, um, excipients, right? All, all this stuff that you really don't need in your food. H how does that impact, right? The, the uh, red number 47, that kind of stuff. Or glyphosate. Like, what do we know about that and how it impacts You know, the issue, the, the issue, Matt, is that we have a process in the United States. You know, think about it as sort of like a, um, a faucet. And they have made a decision on how quickly or how briskly that faucet is going to run. Uh, and what I'm referring to is their, um, the way that they uh, will allow new additives or new food chemicals to enter into the food supply. And if they treated it like drug development, then we would be forced to eat whole food plant-based or whole foods, at least, you know, even some animal products, we would be forced to eat that way because the food industry would not be able to afford to meet the standards of a new drug, which are like very, very large scale trials. So they have reduced this down, but I would argue that they've gone too far in terms of making it way too easy for things to get into our food supply. So there's a process called the GRAS, G-R-A-S, generally recognized as safe. Uh, generally recognized as safe. Gosh, that is not very reassuring from our regulatory agencies that you're even calling it that, right? That you're like, yeah, we kind of think it's a safe thing. We're not sure. And that's actually, yeah. Generally. It's generally, generally okay. It's we cool. think. Um, well, you know, that is exactly the process that they're applying to it, which basically means that what they do is they make it easy for things to get through and, and approved. There is no requirement for human testing. Okay. 80% of the things that exist within our food supply, by the way, there's about 10,000 of these things that I'm referring to in our food supply, 10,000 food chemicals that exist. 80% uh, of them have never had human testing. Now there is one thing that I will tell you for a fact that, is not been done for even one of the 10,000. They don't have long-term human data. They don't, they don't know what happens when you consume these things for 50, 60, 70, 80 years, right? And you and I, Matt, I'm guessing we're probably pretty similar in age. And we came up in this generation that started, I mean, it really feels like it took off on a new level in the 80s. It was already bad. I'm not saying it didn't exist in the 70s or 60s. But I'm saying it took off. It was like a next level thing in the 80s, Kool-Aid and, and SpaghettiOs. And, you know, there's so many things from our childhood, Doritos. And we normalized things that were very abnormal. And the problem is we knew nothing about the gut microbiome. We knew nothing. 
And now here we are, and we have these 10,000 things that we've introduced into our food supply. And we don't have the ability to go back and study all of them in terms of what their effect is on the gut microbiome. But when we go back and we study some of them, we find disturbing things. There are things that exist that are preservatives or that um, are thickening agents that are like disturbing when you look at the effect that they have on the gut microbiome. Things like polysorbate 80 or carboxymethylcellulose or in the case of glyphosate, like glyphosate was designed to be a weed killer. And then that motivated the discovery of genetic modification of food to make it herbicide tolerant. And then it's arriving in our food systems. And they will say, well, we think that food that is sprayed with glyphosate is generally safe. But they didn't study the microbiome. And then here comes the microbiome study that shows that it kills the bugs. It's disturbing. Right. So, and the way that we avoid this, by the way, this is not intended to be fear mongering. Um, First of all, recognizing that no one is perfect and I eat some processed food and I'm sure you do sometimes too. But the, the, the point though, is that we have an issue where in the United States right now, 60% of our calories are coming from ultra processed foods. And this, I think, is a big part of the reason why we have such tremendous problems. Too much processed foods, too much meat, and no fiber. So we just need, we need to shift this. Yeah, 100%. And, uh, and thanks to your work, Fiber Fueled, um, I think we will, we will make inroads there. But yeah, whenever I talk to friends and family and they ask you know look you're aging so well my wife has gone through three pregnancies in in a beautiful way and you know we have three little boys that are plant-based technically the move the the newborn is on mom's milk but we're going to call him plant-based as a derivative of mom um but you know i i always say look like you know a plant-based diet is amazing and you should absolutely increase fruits and vegetables but like the first place to start is just reduce all that processed food, all that sugar, and, and just eat what, what this planet has given us. There's plenty there. And like when you start to get to like 50, 60, 70, 80%, right? Like then let's talk about going 100% plant-based, but you lose people in the conversation when, when it's intimidating in that way. And, and what they need to hear is exactly what you're saying is like, right now we have way too many calories coming from ultra processed, high sugar, chemical laden, glyphosate sprayed foods, right? And we just need to pull that that pendulum back towards, you know, what nature gave us. And obviously that's that's high fiber, whole foods and, and obviously plant-based if you ask me. So um, thank you so much for, for your work. I wanna ask for a, a, a rapid fire question because I know we'd only go 10 minutes more, but, but two people asked about mental health. And I want to give them um, the favor of trying to answer that. Um, can you get migraines because of poor gut health? And what is the connection between your gut health and, and your microbiome in general? And, and overall uh, So first of all, health? you can definitely get migraines. They clearly are connected to damage to the gut microbiome. And in fact, one of the interesting things, um, Matt, when you write a book, you don't know, you spend more than a year of your life preparing the book and you don't know what's going to happen when real people start to read it, right? They could hate it. They could tell you you're a horrible human being, 
or they start latching onto specific things. One of the big things that's happening with my book that's been out for three weeks is that people have been really latching onto the histamine, the low histamine chapter, because histamines can histamines in our diet can actually trigger migraines. And so one of the ways that you could determine whether or not the histamines in your diet are actually triggering, triggering your migraines are to eat low histamine, which I have 26 recipes as a part of this protocol. And if the migraines go away, boom, like we just changed your life. So, and histamine intolerance can manifest in many ways, more than migraines could be runny nose, sinus issues, uh, sore throat, cough, uh, could be skin issues, rash, eczema, uh, hives, flushing, um, and it could be digestive symptoms. The most common symptom is bloating. So, so anyway, that's one of the things that I would say, first of all, about migraines is like, if you haven't tried a low histamine diet, you should because it may change your life. And I'm getting these messages, like literally multiple messages a day from people who are like, your book is changing my life. I can't believe this. Um, so, which is really exciting. That's that, that was the intent. So it, it makes me really fired up. Um, all right, mood. So we know that um, food is connected to our gut microbiome. If you show me a person's diet, we can predict what their gut microbiome looks like. If you show me their gut microbiome, we can predict what foods they've been eating. So we know that there's this, they're, they're intertwined. They're not separable. And there, there is clear data, Matt, where they have used dietary modification to treat mood disorders. Uh, a simple, quick example is the SMILES trial. So the SMILES trial by Professor Felice Jacka, who is at the Food and Mood Center in Australia, and the intervention was a predominantly plant-based Mediterranean diet. And it was for mild to moderate depression, and it was as effective as medication. Right. So that by itself tells you not only does food affect mood, but microbes affect mood. And the short answer when it comes to the microbes is that we have looked at this. We're early in the process of understanding this. But the the feedback that we're receiving is that there is disturbance or change in the microbiome in people that have mood disorders. And in many cases, what is missing are the microbes that interact with dietary fiber. And now I see this in 2022, and I think back to the version of myself from 2012. And I go, this is fascinating, because there I was on a fast food, junk food diet in 2012, depressed as hell. And when I changed towards a plant-based diet, it's like I turned on and connected some dots in my brain that opened things up for me, and I got back to feeling like a real man. Yeah, it is amazing. That's what I always tell the folks. And I know we got to wrap up, but you know, you're on this planet for I think it's something like thirty thousand days, if you're lucky. You know, average health lifespan, right? It's like, why do you eat the way you eat? It's probably because that's how you grew up eating. That's how your friends, your family, your community around you eats. Like, what if you just radically change that in any way you want, right? Uh, for fourteen or twenty-one or thirty days, right? It's, it's a tiny, tiny amount of time in a lifespan, and it could have tremendous impact. I'm like you. Uh, I saw an incredible, I lost a ton of weight, you know, mood all the way through just how I felt in my body, energy-wise, uh, massive difference. So I always encourage people to just try. Just take 30 days out of your life. It's a tiny, tiny amount of time. It seems like a huge thing, 
but it's not in in the long term view of things. And uh, and who knows? You might feel better. You might just change your life, and then the rest becomes easy when it becomes habit. But um, Doctor B, thank you so much for being so generous with your time. I know you're doing a, a whirlwind tour, trying to spread all of this knowledge and get folks to check out your um, fiber fueled cookbook, uh, the second New York Times bestseller that you've enjoyed. And I'm certainly going to enjoy the 125 uh, recipes. Of course, people can click somewhere on here, I'm sure, to find more about you on Instagram. Where can they pick up the book? Where can they learn more? The book was actually sold out on Amazon earlier this week, um, which people, they're like, oh, congratulations. I'm like, no, it sucks because it's it's a big problem, (laughs) but Um, You can get it on Amazon. You can get it at Barnes and Noble. You can also get it at your local bookstore. That's always my favorite because then you're supporting the, the, you know, sort of um, small business entrepreneur who lives in your community and is just trying to keep their doors open and survive the pandemic. So, so the book, the book is widely available wherever books are sold. And um, Matt, thank you again for having me. This was great. And I, you know, I just want to say real quick to everyone that, I, I don't have any affiliation with compliment. In fact, I tend to avoid formal affiliations with companies, but the compliment products are great. And so I, I, I fully uh, support what you guys are doing. And I think it's wonderful. Uh, well, thank you so much for saying that. And yeah, this is all about just sharing, uh, sharing our education and insights and yours, I should say uh, with the community, but appreciate the shout out there. We're, we're hoping to keep, these plant-fueled people strong for the long run. So um, again, thank you. And I'm sorry for throwing all the tough questions at you. You know, we, we've all heard about prebiotics and postbiotics. And I like the tough so questions. So we wanted to really get into the meat of it. I would love, I would love to have you on for a, an extended edition of this and, and dig deeper on a podcast or something. But again, for those watching, check out Fiber Fueled, wherever books are sold. And Dr. B, thank you so much. All right. Thanks, everyone. Take care. Have a good one. Thanks, man. Great to see you.